0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 23, how Sarah lived for 137 years and had 137 years of opportunity to believe, trust, acknowledge, pray, rejoice, submit, obey, love, and teach others about God. Now, before we begin our Bible study here with Tom Cantor today on Friendship with God, we want to introduce to you the new Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible from Tom Cantor. It's an amazing study Bible that features the greatest resources and Bible study helps available on the market today. Now, this King James study Bible and reference Bible has genuine lamb skin leather, over 2,200 pages of Bible helps and references and outlines. In fact, over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, 12 custom-made full-color maps, as well as a History of Israel 9-page full-color timeline map, and a full Bible concordance. Popular Bible Scripture References to Study and Memorize, Prophecy and Fulfillment Study Section, Names of the Messiah Study Section, The Life of Joseph Study, Frequently Asked Questions about the Jewish Messiah Study Section, Hebrew Root Notations and Definitions, as well as How to Receive the Jewish Messiah, also a Tour of the Bible Scripture Journey, Daily Bread Reading Notations, over 600 pages of Bible Study helps with the Friendship with God, King James Study Bible. You will enjoy this Bible from Tom Cantor and we will pre sell it today for a donation of $100 or more to the Friendship with God radio program and Israel Restoration Ministries. Donate today and receive the new Tom Cantor Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible, over 2,200 pages. You'll enjoy this Bible. Call us now at 800 247 3051. You can also call us after the program. Again, 800 247 3051. 800-247-3051. Sign up to receive this Bible at the beginning of January, 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching from the book of Genesis.
1: And we saw in our last uh, study there that what Abraham meant when he said in, verses, in verse 4, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. You know, each patriarch in the Bible had that same life statement. So says, give me a statement about your life. And they would say, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. You know, that's why John Bunyan's book has such the wonderful title, Pilgrim's Progress, describing the life of Christians. It's Pilgrim's Progress. Jacob, Jacob in particular, had this testimony about himself. And it's interesting with Jacob, because of all people that he should give this testimony about his life to, it's Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You know, we don't have to read about very many interactions between Jacob and Pharaoh. And, you know they weren't in this they weren't in in the same economic uh, strata but anyway when pharaoh met jacob for the first time i don't know what what jacob must have looked like but it really impressed pharaoh He just saw this man. He says, boy, does he look so aged. He looks so old. He looks so beaten down. So Pharaoh's like wanted to say, what happened to you in life? You know, (laughs) what is it with you? And so you might want to turn to that in Genesis 47, because it's interesting what actually occurs here. When Joseph, the prime minister, brings in Jacob, his father, and he says he sets him before Pharaoh, it says there. And then it says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So you turn to that, Genesis 47, 47, 7 through 10. And I want you to notice that in particular as we look at this, how the end of verse 7 says, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And then you know, and then look at, the, at verse 10, at the end of their discourse, it says again, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. So what, did, what was Jacob doing there? He was blessing Pharaoh, in case you missed it. It says they start at the beginning, at the end he's blessing Pharaoh. So okay, so what happened? All right. So he looks at him and he says, boy, does this guy look like he's been through the ringer. What happened here? So Pharaoh says to him, how old art thou? He says, you know, you can just hear this in Pharaoh's voice saying, you know, you look like you're 300 years old. So <laughs> just exactly how old are you? And then Jacob, he doesn't just tell him, he says, well, you know, I'm 130 years old or whatever. He doesn't do that. Jacob knows what Pharaoh is asking You know He understands. He says, I know what you're doing. I know you're looking at me. And you say, what happened to you? You look so worn out. You look so destroyed. And by the way, when we get to heaven, we better look like we've been through a battle. (laughs) Okay? You know, beat up helmet, bloodied armor. Otherwise they're going to say, how come you don't look like you've been through a battle? You know, anyway. Okay, we're now there with Jacob and he's been asked by Pharaoh, you know, verse 8, Genesis 47 8, how old art thou? And now Jacob he's going to answer Pharaoh and what he says is interesting because it's more than just an answer of how old he is. He starts by characterizing his life, and he says to Pharaoh, he says, the days of the years. Jacob is looking out over his life now, he's talking to Pharaoh, and what does he see? He sees days. He sees individual days. He sees the day that he stole his brother's birthright, and he says, that was a tense day. (laughs) He looks back, he sees the day that he deceived his father to get the blessing, and he says, that was another tense day. And he sees the day that God met him at Bethel with the ladder. And he said, That was a good day. And he sees the day when he saw Rachel for the first time and he kissed her and he cried. And he says, That was an exciting day. And then he says, He sees the day when he woke up in the bed and found it was Leah with him and not Rachel. And he says, That was an angry day. <laughs> And he sees the day when he finally married Rachel. And we can be sure that he lifted the veil up the night before make sure it was Rachel. And he says that, that was a finally day. And he sees the day when he met God in Genesis 32. And he wrestled with God. And he got his name changed from Jacob to Israel. And he said, that was the best day of my life. And then he sees the day when he saw Joseph's coat all with blood all over it. And he said, that was a sad day. And he sees the day when Joseph was alive. And he said, that was a happy day. So he's answering. giving this answer to Pharaoh's question about how old he is, and he says, I see days which have made up the spectrum of my life. I see this day and that day. He said, the days, that's what our days are. That's what our life is. Our life is made up of days. It's very important we look at our life as each day is a challenge with new opportunities. For the Christian who walks with God, each day is never the same old, same old. It's never that way. Because each day is an exciting opportunity to meet God and to meet the challenge of the day with God. It's an opportunity to start with God. It's a meeting with God with the prayer of dedication. Oh God, I give myself to you, Romans 12.1. Asking God to help us. With, give me the strength, the grace that I need so that I can honor you today. So I won't fail you today. So I'll trust you with all my heart. So I won't lean to my own understanding as it says in Lamentations three twenty two through 23. It is of the Lord's mercies. That we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Or in Isaiah 33:2. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning. Our salvation also in the time of trouble. And in Psalm 143, 8, David says, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul to thee. And then at the evening, that's why there was both a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. So the first one's a morning sacrifice. Then in the evening, that's the time to be like the one out of the ten that turned back to give God thanks. That's the time at the end of every day to look back on the day and thank God for those mercies and those compassions and those loving kindness and the help and the strength for the day. And we do that. We like lift up our hands to the Lord, as it says, as David talked about. He says, "I lift up my hands." It's the evening sacrifice. And so Jacob, looking back over the spectrum, he says, "Altogether, I see these days that made up the years. I see, and when I see those days, I see a pilgrimage, I see a walking, I see a journeying. I see this world as just the road to heaven." I won't make this world my home. I won't settle down in this world. I won't let you print an address that says, Jacob, world. And Jacob tells Pharaoh, I'm on a pilgrimage, and this world is not my home. And you think about who Jacob is talking to. (laughs) You think about who he's telling this to. It's Pharaoh. It's the richest man on earth. It's the most powerful man in this world who had every reason to make this home his home because the world was his, Pharaoh's. But as Jacob looked at Pharaoh and Egypt, he saw what we've been talking about in 1 John 2, 16-17. Jacob looks around Egypt and he says, I see. I see lust of the flesh. He looks around Egypt and he says, I see lust of the eyes. He looks around Egypt and he says, I see the pride of life. And I see it's not of God, but it's of the world. And I see this world is passing away and the lust thereof but i see the person who does the will of god and that could be pharaoh that he will abide forever which is very challenging for us he fixes his eyes on pharaoh and he saw he looks at pharaoh and he says i've seen what's in the world i've seen the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life now i see pharaoh and i see pharaoh as a soul trapped in this world that's going to pass away and so Jacob looks at Pharaoh and he doesn't see the richest, most powerful man in the world. He says a poor, poor soul, weak, trapped by the world, ready to pass away into oblivion with the world. And when he does that, is he looks on Pharaoh, As Jacob looks on Pharaoh. He does what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he looked at the young man, the young rich man in Mark 10, 21, where it says, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross and follow me. Take up the cross and follow me. See, that verse, that verse in Mark 10, 21, is the key to effective evangelism. The goal of effective evangelism is not to persuade a person with the offer that, well, why would not you want a free ticket to heaven? Why don't you want a million dollars too? And all you have to do is pray this one, two, three, repeat after me prayer. The goal of effective evangelism is to get a lost person to become a child of God, abandon this world, and come with us and start making his own way on his pilgrimage to heaven. Make that his life. And the way, the way to effectively evangelize a lost person involves these three steps in Mark 10:21. Or stated to us in Mark 10, 21. And those three steps are, number one, Mark 10, 21, and Jesus beholding him. And you just stop there. That's the first step, beholding him. The first step to effective evangelism is to bring the gospel to a lost person is just to behold him, which means take time to be impressed with his lost state. Look perceptively at Him and let God impress us with His lost state. Listen carefully to what He is saying and let God impress us with His lost state. Think about Him to let God impress us with His lost state. That's all meant by beholding Him, the lost person. And here we need the Lord Jesus Christ to help us to help us to see as he sees, with our eyes as he sees, and hear with our ears as he hears, and perceive with our minds as he perceives, the lost state. Then the next step, too, in Mark 10, 21, it says, Jesus beholding him, loved him. Jesus beholding him, loved him. See, that's step two, loved him. The second step to effectively bringing the gospel to a lost person is to love him. Love of compassion, love of empathy, love of feeling his lost state, where we ask God, break our hearts for his lost condition. And here again, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us a heart for that lost person. See, the first step of beholding him is gathering information about his lost state. The second step is our response to that information, which is love and compassion for his lost state. See, to not do the first step To not do the first step of beholding him is to be, we don't do the first step of beholding him, it's just we get so caught up with our method of evangelism, we get so caught up with our Bible verses that we have to to unload on them, that we could be talking to an orangutan and it wouldn't matter. And the lost know that when we really don't care to listen to them or to behold them. And to not do the second step of loving him in evangelism is to be the tin man in the Wizard of Oz, with no heart, no feeling. And the lost know that too, when we really don't care about him. And then the third step in Mark 10, 21, Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said. The third step is the and said. The third step to effectively bring the gospel to a lost person is to tell him, tell him. This is to effectively communicate the gospel, but in a way that's tailor-made for his needs. And here again, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives the word in season. We need him to give us just the right words to speak. He's the great designer, the great tailor. He has to give us these words. You know, we don't read in the Bible that the Lord Jesus Christ told anyone else that he should go sell everything he owns and give it to the poor and follow him. That's a message, that was a tailor-made message for this man who needed it because he saw his wealth was standing in between him and God.
0: We'll return with our Bible study with Tom Cantor here in just a moment on the Friendship with God radio program. We want to remind you that Tom Cantor has a bookstore with all of his materials that's available online at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. Get all of Tom Cantor's materials, and there are many creation resources there, as Tom Cantor is the owner-operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. And also, he's got his daily devotional verse you can sign up for, Right at friendshipwithgod.org. Sign up for that. Get a daily devotional verse from Tom Cantor. Just one verse from the Bible and a small commentary, one or two sentence commentary on that verse. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Or you can call us to support this Bible teaching radio program as well. With a one-time or monthly contribution, call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Now here again is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
1: And to only see a person in their lost state, and to only have compassion, and only to love the person, but not to tell them the gospel, is to fall short, desperately short. The gospel is a spoken message, and a person cannot be saved without the word. It says in Romans 10, 14 through 15, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Heard. You know, Isaiah 53, 1 starts off, who hath believed our report? The word report is Shemuel which comes from Shema, or Shimon, Simon. Hear, who has believed this hearing? It was told. Who believes what they heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach, declare the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good news. I was in Africa one time. I was traveling on a plane, and I was sitting next to a Christian and I was telling him, you know, oh, what are you trying to do in Ethiopia? And I said, well, we're trying to. And I was trying to put in my mind of uh, telling him the gospel. And he says, in the African man, he says, you want to bring them the good news. I thought, yeah, that's right. That's what the Bible says here. Bring, bring it along. The glad tidings of good things. Now, just think now, as I'm thinking now also, of some lost soul or souls that you're going to encounter this week. Think about it. Some lost soul that you're going to encounter this week. And ask God, as I've been asking God myself, to help you with these three steps to effectively evangelize that lost soul this week. That God would help you to behold that lost person and see as God sees them and hear as God hears and see the lostness as we've never seen it before of their soul. And love that person with a compassion, the compassion of God for his lost state. And then speak a tailor-made gospel message from God for that lost person. These three steps are exactly what Jacob did for Pharaoh in Genesis 47. He beheld Pharaoh and the Egypt that had trapped him. He loved Pharaoh with a deep compassion for Pharaoh's lost state. And then he spoke. He spoke a tailor-made message, a gospel message from God to Pharaoh. And the message was, he was in essence saying to Pharaoh, I invite you, come with me. I'm on a pilgrimage. Come with me, Pharaoh. I know this sounds preposterous to you. Pharaoh, I see how rich you are in the world. Pharaoh, I see how powerful you are in the world. But this world's passing away, Pharaoh. And I'm inviting you to jump ship. (laughs) I'm inviting you to come with me on this pilgrimage from this world. That's the same pilgrimage my father Isaac was on. That's the same pilgrimage my grandfather Abraham was on. It's open to you, Pharaoh. That's why it starts off this passage by saying, And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And ends afterward in saying, "And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh." That's amazing because it says in Hebrews 7:7, 7, 7, "Without all contradiction." In other words, nobody doubts this: The less is blessed by the better." And so when it says that Jacob blessed Pharaoh, that means Pharaoh was less better <laughs> than Jacob. Jacob, in his poor, life-battered state, standing before the richest, most powerful. Pharaoh was better off than Pharaoh, and that's why Jacob could bless Pharaoh, which is why Paul, in his prison chains, speaking to King Agrippa in Acts 28-29, through says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God, that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, except the bonds. You can keep your chains. One way to help us to not make this world our home is to just consider and think about the phrases as they appear in the Bible of in the world and of the world. 1 John 2, as we said, we already said that. 1 John 2, 6 and 7. All that's in the world. And he went through the list. He said, this is of the world. The less of the flesh, less of the last part of life. This tells us that. John 1:10. He was in the world. The Lord Jesus Christ was in the world. Even though the world was made by him, the world knew him not. We're told that he was temporarily in the world. And that concept, in the world, being temporarily here. He say this temporariness he talked about in John 9, 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Temporary, limited time. John 13, 1. Before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the father he loved his own which were in the world in john 16 33 these things have i have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace in the world you shall have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world which makes it so if you overcome the world then he was at war with the world which is why james says know ye not that the friendship with the world is enmity with god whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of god you got to choose your sides there's a battle going on there's a fight between the lord jesus christ and the world and we've got to choose which side we're going to go on. And he said, I won. And furthermore, when we go on his side in 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And then John 17, 11 through 13, where he goes to oh, all this, in the world, the world. And now I am no more, he's praying to his father, I am no more in the world. But these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. And then he says, and now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So this view of looking at life as a pilgrimage, it made Sarah's life different. It made Jacob's life different. It made Abraham, Isaac's, their lives were different. You might want to turn to Hebrews 11, verse 8. Quickly, just going to finish with this. Hebrews eleven eight 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go unto a place which he should afterward receive an inheritance, obeyed. He went out, not knowing whither he went. So verse 8, what did Abraham's faith drive him to do? When he heard God's call, he did what? He left home. He didn't know where he was going. Verse 8, it says, by faith, of oh, by faith, what did Abraham believe that caused him to leave home, not know where he was going? He believed that God had something better for him than his life in Ur. He believed that God was good and it was better to follow God than to stay in Ur. Verse 9, it goes on and it says there, by faith Abraham, he lived in tents. He lived in tabernacles. His faith drove him to do that. Why? Because he believed that there was a better place to live. You know what our trouble is? We settle for less. And Abraham said, I'm not settling for less. Aaron says, you know, I'm going to a place that's better. And so he lives, because he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. He looked for that. And then Sarah, in verse 11, what did it drive her to do? Her faith. It drove her to to expect, to receive God's strength, to conceive and give birth. And in verse 11, when it says, through faith Sarah also, what did she believe? She believed in the faithfulness of God's promises. He said, I'm going to conceive. I'm going to sit here and expect the strength to conceive, which she did, and give birth. And verse 13 says, these all died in faith. What did their faith cause them to do? What did their faith drive them to do? Verse 13, to confess. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For verily, they that say such things, they declare plainly that they seek a country. See, they believed God had a country for them. And because they believed God had a country for them, what was God not ashamed to do? It was not ashamed to be called their God. And from verse 16, because they believed God had a city and a country for them, where God is, what did God do for them? He prepared them a place. He's prepared for them a city. Then verse 13 says, they confessed. They were pilgrims and strangers on the earth. All because they had three responses to the promises of God. First response, they saw them. They saw them afar off. You can't see something unless you're looking at it. And we look at these promises in the word of God. And we see them afar off like them. Second, they were persuaded of them. In other words, they looked, and then these promises changed their lives. And third, they embraced them. They said, those are my promises. Those are God's promises for me. And therefore, God was not ashamed to be called their God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the life of Sarah. And we thank you, Lord, for writing down all these things for us about these who died in faith. Lord, that we might not squander our opportunities here and help us, Lord, to seize the moment and not to be lulled into settling for less. In
0: Jesus' name, amen. Another amazing message and Bible study from Tom Cantor on the Friendship with God radio program. Just a reminder, if you would like to download this message for free, you can do so on our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org, also available on iTunes.com and sermonaudio.com. So friendshipwithgod.org, iTunes.com, or sermonaudio.com to download today's message or past messages. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up with your email for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. Just one small verse from the Bible and a small exhortation or encouraging note from Tom Cantor on that verse from the Bible. You can sign up with your email at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse available through Facebook. You can befriend Tom Cantor by searching for Tom Cantor on Facebook, as well as Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God. Now, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on friendship with God and the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, has put together a four-year Bible project, the Friendship with God King James Study and Reference Bible, from Tom Cantor, over 2,200 pages and over 600 pages of Bible Helps and resources. It's printed with Finland thin paper printing technology to minimize its thickness. It's covered in a black lambskin leather, gold lettering, and over 30,000 Bible column inline scripture references, as well as over 20 pages of full-color maps and timelines, a full Bible concordance. This is an amazing Bible with, again, over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It's yours for a donation of $100 to the Friendship with God radio program in Israel Restoration Ministries, Sign up for yours today. It's available as of January. Call us now at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org for more information. 800-247-3051.